Right, if you would, let's open our Bibles again to Genesis chapter 3. I titled the message this morning, Where Are You? I told you a few weeks ago I wanted to start a series of messages on questions that are asked in the Bible. And this morning I want to look at this question that God asked Adam after Adam fell. In Genesis 3 verse 9, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Now these are the very first words God ever spoke to a sinner. Where are you? I want to take this question that the Lord asked Adam, and I want it, I want it to apply it to us this morning. Where are you? Where am I? Now you know the Lord didn't ask this question, Adam, where are you? Because he needed information. The Lord already knew what Adam had done. He knew where Adam was trying to hide. You know, the Lord knew what Adam would do before Adam did, didn't he? The Lord knew what Adam would do from before the foundation of the world. And the same thing is true of you and me. The Lord knew what we, what we would do before we ever did it. The Lord knew what we would be before we ever became fallen in sin like we are. Wherever we're at, whatever we're doing, the Lord knows. The Lord knows. Nothing's hid from him. So the Lord wasn't asking this question to find out Adam's location. He was asking this question for Adam's benefit, for our benefit. He was asking this question to force a confession from Adam so that Adam would see where he is now. The Lord asked this question for you, for our sake, so that we could see where are we? And why are we where we are? Why are we the way that we are? So where was Adam? Adam was fallen into sin, wasn't he? God had created, he didn't create Adam in sin. He created Adam perfect and upright. Adam was innocent. He had a, a righteousness and innocence. But he could lose it. We never had an innocence that we could lose. We were made guilty in Adam. Adam had an innocence, but he could lose it by his disobedience. And things couldn't have been better for Adam, could they? God created Adam innocent, upright, put him in a perfect garden. He even made a helpmeet for Adam, a wife to, to be with him. Adam had everything a body could ever want. In this perfect garden with, with plenty of good food to eat, with his, his wife, his helpmeet, just everything was perfect for Adam. He's in a perfect environment. And there was just one rule. Adam, don't eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that fruit. The Lord told Adam, Now the day that you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. Dying, thou shalt die. That's the literal translation of what God said. Adam, the day you eat that fruit, you'll immediately die spiritually. And you'll begin dying physically. Now you think about that. Just one rule. Just one law. The law of God now takes up pages and pages and pages and pages of Scripture, doesn't it? Adam just had one. Just one. Don't eat, don't eat the fruit of that tree. But you know, as long as that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, stood, it stood as a symbol of God's authority over Adam. Every time Adam walked past that tree, he was reminded of God's authority over him, wasn't he? It stood as a symbol of God's authority. And when Adam took that fruit and ate it, he did it with his eyes wide open. He was not deceived. Eve was deceived. Adam was not deceived. 
He ate that fruit knowing exactly what he was doing. He took that fruit because he wanted to be God. Adam wanted to be the one to make the rules. He wanted to get rid of this symbol of God's authority over him. He wanted to be an equal with God. He took that fruit and ate it on purpose, knowing exactly what he was doing. And everything that happened to Adam after that is all a result of Adam's sin. Every bit of it. Adam is where he is because of sin. You and I are where, we're, where we are because of a nature of sin. We're all born with Adam's sinful nature. So Lord, ask Adam, where are you? Well, I see five places where Adam is because of his sin. And by nature, the way you and I are born into this world, we're in these same five places. I don't want us to think about we're just talking about Adam here. But we're talking about ourselves. So number one, we're, we're in the same place Adam is. Where's Adam? Adam is spiritually dead. Just exactly like God told him what happened. The day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Adam died. I mean, instantly he died. How do I know that? How do I know Adam is now spiritually dead? When God created Adam, Adam was brilliant. I mean, he's not this ignorant caveman that, you know, just accidentally discovering fire and the wheel. He's not some ignorant caveman. Adam was brilliant. God made all the animals, and then he made Adam, and he brought all the animals to Adam, and Adam named them. All of them. He, Adam named them all. And Adam had dominion over everything in God's creation. He had dominion over all the animals, all the fish, all, all the birds, all the plants. He had dominion over everything. Adam in the garden had to be the most brilliant man to ever live, other than, our, of course, our Lord. He had to be the most brilliant man to ever live because sin hadn't destroyed his mind yet. I mean, you think of this brilliant man. Now where is he? He's not smart at all, is he? I would say Adam is just stupid. Um, my great niece has told me that's a bad word. That she was uh, our great niece was with us when she went and told her mommy, Uncle Frank said the S word. I said I did not, and she said yes. You said they're stupid, you know. So maybe that's that's a that's a politically incorrect thing to say. But Adam's not smart at all. Whatever term you want to put to it, Adam is not smart at all. His understanding has become darkened. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. And the same thing's true, you and me. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that's in them because of the blindness of their heart. Our understanding is darkened, isn't it? So we cannot understand. Our understanding is darkened because our heart is dead. That's Adam here, isn't it? His understanding is darkened. Adam's mind just doesn't work right anymore. I mean, you think about what Adam's doing. He thinks he can play, he can win a game of hide and seek with God. He thinks he can hide in a bush and God won't see him. His mind's dead. And on top of that, here's another reason I know Adam's mind is not working right. 
rather than begging for mercy. And now would be a mighty good time to beg God for mercy, wouldn't it? Rather than beg for mercy, instead, Adam tries to blame his sin on God. Look at verse 12 back in our our text. And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. You know what he's saying? Lord, I wouldn't have sinned if you hadn't gave me this woman. And his mind's not working right. He's trying to blame his sin on a holy God. It just doesn't make sense, does it? But that's where Adam is. He's spiritually dead. And when you and I are born into this world, we're born in the exact same spot. Dead in sin. Our understanding is darkened, so we don't know who God is. We don't know how, how sinful we are. Until God ever teaches us anybody, we think we're pretty good. We think we're pretty good because we're comparing ourselves with each other instead of with God. We don't know the gospel. We certainly don't love the gospel. And we're just like our father Adam. We refuse to beg for mercy. We keep trying to do better and do better and do better, hoping that'll be good enough for God. We think if we just do our best, you know, even though it's not perfect, we, you know, we'll, we'll admit we're not perfect, but, you know... It, I'm pretty good, and, and God will just do the accept me if I do the best that I can, and you know if I if I'm sincere, even though God's word says it has to be perfect to be accepted, we still think, you know, what we want to think. We still think we oh, God will accept me just you know if I do as well as I can. We think that because our mind is darkened, our understanding is darkened, and we're like our father Adam in this way too. We try to blame our sin on God. That's right. How often have you heard somebody say that they got just a little bit of understanding of something to, to be dangerous? They say, well, God's sovereign. He could have stopped me if he had wanted to. That's blaming our sin on God, isn't it? Just like our father Adam. And I tell you, man's dead nature will never change. Never. Until God puts an end to this creation, man's dead nature will never change. It will always be dead. We read in Revelation 6, verse 16, that when the Lord returns, He returns to judge the earth in righteousness. He returns to gather His people to Himself, cast unbelievers into hell. The unbelievers will say to the rocks and mountains, fall on us and hide us from the face of Him that sitteth on the throne. They're still going to be trying to hide from God, just like our father Adam. And it won't work for them in the end any better than it did for Adam in the beginning, will it? There's no escaping judgment for our sin. God's word plainly tells us who and what we are. He plainly, in his word, tells us who the Savior of sinners is. But we're dead, so we won't go to him. And we continue on in our self-righteousness, just thinking everything will be okay, even though God's word says it won't be. That's where Adam is. He's dead. Second, where's Adam? Adam is ashamed. Because he's naked. Verse 10. He says, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid. Because I was naked. And I hid myself. Now as soon as Adam ate that fruit, God told him not to eat. Adam and Eve both knew they were naked. Now nothing happened when Eve ate the fruit, did it? No, because she was in her head. Adam, just like you and I were. But when Adam ate the fruit, the whole race... His whole race, everybody that would ever come from him was plunged into sin and death. Adam ate that fruit, he lost his innocence, and he knew he was naked, and he was ashamed. Now what changed? 
Adam and Eve hadn't worn clothes since God created them. I don't know how long it was, but for however long it had been since God created them, they never wore clothes and they never wore shame before. Now they're ashamed. Just the two of them. Just Adam and Eve. They're husband and wife. They're, he, they're ashamed of their nakedness. You know why? Because they're spiritually naked. They're ashamed of their physical nakedness because they're spiritually naked. They're not innocent anymore. And they're ashamed. They're ashamed to appear before God naked, without an innocence, without a covering. And they tried to cover themselves. They sewed fig leaves together to try to make themselves aprons out of fig leaves. And it didn't work. It didn't take away their shame, did it? It might have covered their body, but it didn't take away their, their shame. You know how I know they're still ashamed? Their fig leaf apron didn't work. They're hiding in the bushes. The fig leaf aprons weren't enough to cover their nakedness, to take away their shame. Now, scripture tells us that those fig leaves are pictures. They're pictures of our works of righteousness that we do. Our good works that we do to try to cover ourselves. To try to cover our nakedness and make us appear righteous before God. And our works of righteousness, our good deeds, all of our attempts at keeping God's law will not cover our nakedness, will not take away our shame any better than Adam and Eve fig leaves aprons did. No, it won't take away our, our shame and our nakedness. If we appear before God in our own works, our own works of righteousness will be damned because God cannot accept that filthy rag of righteousness that's just polluted with sin. That's where Adam is. He's ashamed because he's naked. Thirdly, where's Adam? Adam is full of fear. Adam's hiding because he's afraid of God. He said, God, I was afraid of you. Now what changed? See, Adam had to be the one to change, didn't he? God hadn't changed. Adam never been afraid of God before. He walked with God in the cool of the evening before. You think of Adam walking and talking with God. My soul. Without fear. They just they talked as friends. He was not afraid. Now Adam's afraid. You know why? Sin makes us afraid. Sin fills us with fear. And we should be. We should be. God's angry because of sin. God's angry with the wicked every day because God's holy. He can't even look on sin. And aren't we such fearful creatures? I mean, nothing's changed from Adam to today, has it? Roughly 6,000 years, nothing's changed. We're such fearful creatures, just afraid of everything. And the biggest thing we're all afraid of By nature, everybody's afraid of dying. We do everything we can do to make ourselves live longer. Because we're afraid. We're afraid. We're afraid of meeting God in judgment because of our sin. And I tell you what, we got all that fear. Here's why we're where we're at, so full of fear. We got it from our father Adam. All right, here's the fourth thing. Where's Adam? Adam is guilty. Now, Adam can't deny his guilt, can he? Can't deny his guilt. So, like I read earlier, he tried to blame his guilt on God. And then he tries to, to blame it on Eve. Somebody's got to be at, at fault here besides me. That's what he's saying. Sound like anybody else you know? <laughs> We're just like him, aren't we? Just like our father. Adam suddenly knew that awful feeling of a guilty conscience. His conscience was bothering him because he's guilty. And doesn't 
the guilt of sin. Doesn't that make us miserable? Guilty. And we know it, just that guilty conscience makes us full of fear. I tell you, there's good reason. There's good reason for the guilty to fear. God said, I will by no means clear, clear the guilty. You and I are so guilty. Adam broke every rule God gave him, didn't he? Every law. One. You and I are so guilty, we're guilty of breaking every commandment of God. God gave the law to Moses, and like I said earlier, God's law fills pages and pages and pages of Scripture, doesn't it? Not one of them have we kept. Not one. We're so guilty, we're guilty of breaking every commandment. Can you imagine us, in our nature, appearing before God's throne of justice? Just like they bring a criminal in before the judge, and the judge says, what's the charges? And they say, well, he's guilty of breaking and entering, he's guilty of resisting arrest. You know, okay, well, there's two crimes. Oh, the, the reading of, of the, the what we're charged of would go on forever, wouldn't it? Guilty of breaking every law of God. Now, am I taking that too far? Listen to what James said, James 2, verse 10. Whosoever shall keep the whole law, yet offend in one point, is guilty of all. We're guilty of breaking all of the law of God. If we kept all the law of God and had one sinful thought, we're guilty of it all. God won't accept the best we can do, will he? No, so we have a guilty conscience. The best we can do makes us guilty. It gives us a guilty conscience, torturing us just like it did Adam. Then here's the fifth thing. Where's Adam? Adam is hateful. Now, Adam acts hateful toward Eve. Scripture doesn't really say but I don't think I'm stretching things too much to say Adam had to be awestruck the first time he saw Eve. Wouldn't you reckon? God put him to sleep, took out his rib, and Almighty God fashioned with his fingers a woman. She's beautiful. I mean, she had to be stunning. And Adam had been lonely. Remember, he saw the animals, how they all had help. They all had male and female. He didn't. Oh, he had to be so happy. He wasn't lonely anymore. He had Eve and his help meet his Bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. Oh, how he had to love her. How he had to be so thankful to have her. He wasn't alone anymore. And just as soon as he ate that fruit, how quickly was Adam willing to throw his wife under the bus trying to save his own skin? Mm -mm -mm. And notice this. He doesn't even say, Lord, Eve made me do it. He said, that woman that you made. She made me do it. Hateful. Hateful. Oh. Adam hates his wife and he hates God. He has to hate God. He's he blaming God for sin. He's refusing to beg for mercy. Now doesn't that description of Adam fit us to a T? All five of those places. That fits us to a T. That we're exactly like our father Adam. You know I can tell you and every gospel preacher you know can tell you to all blue in the face come to Christ trust Christ come to him beg him for forgiveness come to him beg him for mercy and you won't do it none of no none of us will do it until the spirit draws us to Christ will he and I can tell you the reason sinners don't come to Christ begging for mercy let me tell you because we're just like our father Adam and we hate God that's why 
We hate God. We hate God's Christ. We hate God's way of salvation that's by faith alone without any of our works. We hate it. Now, people are very religious. I mean, I'll grant you, men don't hate the God, the idol that they've made up, in the, you know, out of their own mind, but they hate the God of the Bible. I know that sounds harsh, but that's true. It's true. You don't run away from somebody you love. You run to them. You run away from somebody you hate. Now, that is the true but sad uh, account of our nature. That's where we, where, where we are by nature. That's what we are by nature. That's why the, we are the way that we are. Because of Adam's sin. Now I want to take this question and apply it to you. You take it and apply it to you, I'll take it and apply it to me. Where are you? When God says, where, where are you? Well, by nature, we have to say we're right next to Adam, don't we? I don't think anybody here could could deny that. We're right next to Adam. Well, here's the good news. The Lord God has provided a remedy for Adam's sin. The Lord Jesus Christ. He promised, look at uh, verse 15. I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. The seed of woman, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. God promised the remedy for Adam's sin, didn't he? The Lord Jesus Christ, the seed of woman, who would come as a seed of woman, not as a seed of man, to partake in Adam's sin, to have Adam's sinful nature. He's the seed of woman, the Son of God. And He's coming. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming. He's coming to undo everything Adam did to His people. See, in Christ, God's people are in five completely different places. God's translated us from there and put us somewhere else. Put us in Christ. So by nature, number one, we're all spiritually dead, just like Adam, aren't we? But in Christ, we're made alive. Look at John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Everyone who's in Christ, they have eternal life. They're not dead. They have eternal life. How can I have eternal life? How do those who are in Christ, how do they have eternal life? Our Lord tells us in John chapter 11, it's by faith. By faith in Christ. John 11 verse 25. This is when our Lord is talking to Martha at the tomb of her brother Lazarus. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth, faith, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, though he were dead in Adam, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Do you believe that? Anyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ shall never die. Shall never die the second death. They can never be condemned. We have life simply by believing on Christ. Now, what is it to believe on Christ? I mean, I bet if you had a nickel every time you heard some preacher say believe on Christ or talk about believing on Christ, you could retire, couldn't you? But what is it? What is it to believe on Christ? Well, believing on Christ is to trust Him. To trust Him. To trust that He is all it takes to save my sinful soul. 
It's trusting Christ. It's trusting His obedience. His obedience to law makes me righteous. His obedience is my obedience. It's trusting His blood that He shed as a sacrifice for sin to put away my sin. I don't have to do anything to help put away my sin. The blood of Christ did it. I trust Him. I trust that He's enough. That's believing Christ. And if I trust that Christ is enough, you know what? I don't feel compelled to add any of my works to it. Oh, I'll work. I'll work. I'll, I'll work to help you. I'll, I'll work. But not in order to put away my sin. Not in order to make God more happy with me. But out of love and thanksgiving. But I don't feel any need to add something to Christ. I trust He's enough to save me. That's believing in Christ. Now you're tired of being dead in Adam? Do you need spiritual life? Do you, are, are you dead and know it? Then come to Christ. Life's in Him. Ask Him to give you the faith to believe Him. Alright, number two, by nature, we're ashamed, aren't we? We're ashamed because we're naked. But in Christ, we're clothed. Clothed with the very righteousness of Christ. Back in our text, in verse 21, the Lord made them coats of skin for both Adam and Eve. Well, that's a picture of Christ's righteousness. I bet that that animal was a lamb. May not have been, but whatever it was, that animal had to die to give up its skin to, to clothe Adam and Eve. That's a picture of Christ our righteousness. He had to die that He might make His people righteous. Now, if you're tired of being ashamed, are you, are, are you tired of the shame of your guilt, the shame of your nakedness before God? Now, I'll tell you what to do. Come to Christ believing Him. That he is all it takes to take away your guilt. I can show you that in Romans chapter 10. If Christ took your sin away, if your sin's gone, your guilt's gone too, isn't it? The only, way, the only reason we're guilt, guilty is because of sin. The only reason we're ashamed because of sin. Well, if Christ took your sin away, there's no more guilt and no more shame. Come believing Christ. Believing He's all it takes. Romans 10 verse 11. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now why won't anybody who trusts in Christ be ashamed? Because there's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing to be ashamed of. He took your sin away. He's clothed you with his righteousness. Let me tell you just a little something here about being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's, that's the way Scripture talks about it. We, we talk about being clothed in His righteousness. You're not ashamed if you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ because if you're clothed in His righteousness, you're not naked, right? But when we talk about the robe of Christ's righteousness, that doesn't mean that, that we have a robe that covers our sin and the sin's still there. If that were true, somebody could pull the robe off, couldn't they? And we'd still be ashamed. We'd still be naked. Wearing the righteousness of Christ, wearing the righteous robe of Christ's righteousness means this. As Brother Scott Richardson used to say, it's not pasted on righteousness. It's being made righteous through and through so that there is no sin in us. All there is is righteousness. And where there's no sin, there's no shame. Now, do you, Are you tired of being naked before God? Well, I'll tell you what, come to Christ believing Him. And you'll be covered in His righteousness. Your shame will be taken away. 
Here's the third thing. By nature, we're full of fear. Oh my. Aren't we full of fear about it? Fearful about everything. But in Christ, we have no reason to fear. You know, the thing that fills the hearts of the sons of Adam with fear is the judgment, isn't it? We know we're guilty. We know we are. God has to find us, find us guilty. We have to be condemned because we have no righteousness. Look back here at page Romans chapter 8. Verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. See, nobody who trusts in Christ can ever be condemned. Can't be. Can't be. Because Christ our substitute was already condemned for us. He's been condemned for our sin and God's not going to punish two people for the same sin. Christ has made His people not guilty. Not guilty. And I tell you this, innocent people do not fear coming for the judge. Not at all. That's why the Lord tells His people Fear not. This is from straight from the lips of our Savior. Fear not, for I'm with thee. Fear not. He's taking away every reason for fear. Now, are you tired of being afraid of everything? Tired of being so jumpy and afraid of everything? I tell you what, come to Christ. Come to Christ believing Him. There's no fear in Him. Then fourthly, by nature we're guilty, aren't we? But in Christ... We're not guilty. Innocent and righteous. Look at 1 John chapter 1. First John 1. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin. No sin nature. We deceive ourselves. And the truth's not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now our father Adam tried to deny his guilt, didn't he? He tried to blame it on everybody. Somebody else got to be at blame for this, you know, but me. And what happened to Adam? He was thrust out of the garden. But the Lord says, if we confess our sin, if we confess our guilt, He'll forgive us. And you know how God forgives the sin of His people? When God forgives the sin of His people, He's right to do it. God forgives the sin of His people because the Lord Jesus Christ was punished in our place. He took all the the shame, all the, the sin. He bore all the punishment that the sin of His people deserves and took it away forever. So when His blood is applied to our hearts, we have a clear conscience. You know why in Christ you have a clear conscience? There's no sin to feel guilty about. There's no guilt in Him. Now, do you not want to be guilty before the judge of all the earth? Are you tired of appearing guilty before God? Well, i tell you what, come to Christ. Come to Christ believing Him. There's no guilt in Him. And then the fifth thing is this. By nature, we're hateful. We're hateful. I don't know. There's been any time in the history of man that man's hateful nature has been more evident. Man's always been been just as hateful, but now you can let a billion people know how hateful you are. 
you know, the click of a button, can't you? But in Christ, we're loved. And we love. Romans 5, verse 5 says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. Oh, we're hateful by nature, but God the Holy Ghost comes to to His people and sheds abroad the love of God in our heart. You see, Christ came to redeem everybody that God loves. Now, God loves His people. He chose out a people because He loves them. God doesn't love everybody, does He? He loves His people. And the Holy Spirit comes to those people. Christ came to die for the people that God loves. And the Holy Spirit comes to those people and gives them a new nature. And now they love God. God loves them and they love God. And I tell you this, if the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, we're going to be loving people. I wish that would be perfect. I wish that would show through better, but it'll show through. If the, if the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, we're going to be loving people. Now, you want, you want to be not so hateful anymore. You want to not be afraid that God hates you? I tell you what, come to Christ. All of the love of God is found in the Son. Come to Christ. God's love is in Him. Now, I'll give you this in closing. I want, I want each of us to, to take this message. I want it to, each of us to apply it to our own hearts. Where are you? Uh, where are you? Are you in Christ or are you in Adam? That's only two choices. You're in Christ or you're in Adam. Now, if you're in Christ and you trust Him, you know it. And if you don't trust Christ, you know that too. Well, if you're in Christ, I'll tell you what, be thankful. Be thankful in worshiping. That's God's doing, not yours, isn't it? He's the one put you in Christ. And if you're in Adam, you know it. You know it. Well, let me tell you one more time to come to Christ. If you're in, if you're in Adam and you know it, you're, you're, you're guilty, you're, you're ashamed, you're full of fear, you're hateful, come to Christ. Come to Him begging for mercy. Come to Him begging for forgiveness. Come and beg Him. Lord, give me faith to trust You. Give me faith to trust You. I, I can't make myself trust You, but Lord, give me faith to trust You. And you know what you'll find? You'll find that Christ is everything you need. All right. I hope I'll be a blessing to you. Let's bow together. Our Father, how we thank you for your word. How we thank you that in your mercy and your grace and your wisdom, you provided a remedy for our sin. How we thank you that you sent your son to undo for your people everything that Adam did to him. And Father, I pray you'd take your word as it's been preached and you'd show us your glory in it, that you'd reveal your redemptive glory to the hearts of each one here this morning. Enable us to leave here believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, to not be in Adam anymore, but to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ, not having our own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is the righteousness of faith, Cause us to to leave here believing in, resting in Christ our Savior. In His precious name, for His sake we pray. Amen. All right, Sean.